Hey, welcome back to yet another episode of Uncommon People. This is, as I say, a show about you and me and everyone in between. This is a chance for me to have intentional conversation with people to learn um, about their stories and their perspective and the things that they've learned along their journey because everyone has had a different journey and we all have something to learn from those around us. So this is a chance for me to indulge my conversational uh, desires and sit down with somebody and just talk about their life and what they've been through. In this episode, episode 28, I sat down with Paul Schumann and talked about his life. We talked about the crypto world a little bit as well as finances in general. We talked some life stories and about what it's like to exist in the world as it is now and how to focus. We talked about fear. We talked about a lot of different things. So I hope you'll sit around and enjoy the conversation and that you'll learn something from it and be inspired to have a conversation of your own with somebody in your life um, or somebody who's not really currently in your life, but you're curious about. You never know where you might end up. So in the meanwhile, like I said, this is episode 28 of Uncommon People, and I hope you enjoy listening. people who I've again only had very minimal interaction with before having on the show which is fun to me yeah so met you at airship and as we were talking about in there you you seem to enjoy conversing with people and having good conversations and initially I noticed that I thought oh that's cool I've heard I've heard Clara mention you and be like this guy's really cool yeah right on and uh yeah she's great hey Clara yeah I'll need to send her this episode. I don't know if she's listening to any. <laughs> That's right. She'll listen to this one probably, yeah. almost definitely. Yeah. Um, but then I talked to you one day and we were discussing what you do for work mm-hmm. and then got into finances mm-hmm. and trading yes. and that subject. And that's been something I've been very intrigued with recently. Yes. Um, so I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah. For one thing, it was to me it seemed interesting that you have a perspective that I wouldn't expect from your generation most of the time, which seems to be kind of not just accepting a narrative that's given to you about any given realm, but wanting to think critically about it and ask if there's better ways to do it. And that conversation was specifically around the financial yes. industry and how to actually benefit and, and be helped by it rather than kind of just float along and not realize it's, you, you could Absolutely. say, um, I don't know, not being the most helpful, even yes. though we think money, learning how to make money and have money and use it well is yes. really important. Mm-hmm. I, though, did not learn that growing up i learned how to save meaning put it in an account and let it sit yes but that's all i learned so yes what what's uh do you want to talk about your background as far as just how you thought of that 
money going up and like now doing trading and, and dabbling in crypto i mean how far back do you want to go i would say how know, far is relevant well I, as far as money um you know the way i was raised and my perspective on money is probably a lot different than most people i i have never cared about money mm -hmm. um i never understood why it was important to save. Um, I kind of grew up with the idea that I wanted whatever money I had, it was going to get spent. You know, um, I didn't have a lot of structure growing up, so I was just kind of live in the moment kind of guy. Right. And so money, even when I started to make money, was never something that I thought about getting more of or saving uh, it just kind of was a tool. And um, I mean, there's good and bad to that because I, one of the things I've always loved to do, and even when I was not a Christian, I was always really interested in other people. And when somebody had need financially, it was never an issue for me to share. Um, I've never been a hoarder of money. And, and I, to this day, I think one of my greatest passions and one of the greatest loves I have in life is, is philanthropy. Like I, I love to give money away. And I know that sounds weird. Like, you know, like I don't just walk around and hand money out, although I've done that, um, at some level, you know, and I've had people do it to me. And so I know how it, it really blessed my life when mm -hmm. it happened to me. Yeah. But uh, it's only been in the last, I would say, few years where I've really started to think about uh, how important money is and what what money is and what wealth is. And, um, you know, I'm still on that journey. Um, so I've not I've not been a um, I would say a good steward in a lot of ways because I've um like I said, it just never was really that important, uh -huh. you know. Um, as far as, you know, the conversation about what money is, you know, that's been in the last couple of years in my, um, I've been exposed, you know, kind of Bitcoin has become somewhat mainstream. And, right. and, and my first, my first, um, I would say, experience with Bitcoin or introduction to Bitcoin uh, like most things, I tend to be a risk taker, and, okay. and uh, I jump in with both feet. And a lot of times, I don't do the research I should do. And so, in 2017, I bought my first Bitcoin, and I really didn't know anything about it. I just thought it was people were talking about it, people were making money buying it, and so I bought it. And in hindsight, you know, if I had done some research and spent a little time understanding it the way I understand it today, um, I would have I would have been uh, I'd have been in a really good position today because <laughs> my first Bitcoin when I bought it was like five hundred dollars ish, roughly. Uh -huh. You know, and when it when it hit nineteen hundred, I sold it. I thought, man, I just you know I just tripled my money, and so that was a really good investment, right? Um, but I didn't really understand what it represented and and how it was going to become what it's becoming, and and that's an that's an entirely different conversation. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you want to go. I, I'm still learning. But the more I learn, the more I am fascinated and the more I'm convinced that 
Bitcoin is for real, mm -hmm. and it's um, it represents a form of money that, in to this point in the history of mankind, has has never been. I uh -huh. mean, it's um, it's fair, it's it's just, and if it gets adopted globally, as many believe it will it'll change society forever hmm. um, because it can't be manipulated. It can't be inflated or deflated. Um, it's in, entirely secure and uh, it's, it's the greatest form of money that's ever been created. Okay. And, and money is really just a, an exchange of value. It has to have some scarcity and it's a, it's a medium of exchange. Mm -hmm. So money over the history of mankind has been so many different things. And in every case, the evolution of money, um, you know, it just changes. You know, gold used to be the standard, and then gold became uh, too hard to exchange personally, you know, so they created the certificates, gold certificates, right. or, you know, the dollar was backed by gold. So if uh -huh. you had a, a, a bill, it, it represented an equal amount of gold stored somewhere, like Fort Knox. Well, uh -huh. gold standard went away. They just started printing money like crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I'm I'm very interested in this stuff, and would love to talk more another time. But even more than that, I'm interested in your perspective going into it, and why you would even bother. Really, why would you bother asking the question, the questions about money and finances that lead to that lead you down that road? Because for a lot of us, whatever our age is, we're not encouraged or taught to question the things that are given to us or the things that are kind of in place. And I think we can all pretty easily recognize not ever questioning the narrative that's given to you can go real wrong, real easy. So I'm curious about why you would even get into it in the first place, or did it did it relate? Did those questions that you were asking relate to other areas too, where you thought there's probably more to this than I realize, and I want to go down that path and ask the questions? Yeah, I think the more the more exposure, the the more questions. So it's been more for me a journey of you know discovery. Like, what is Bitcoin? Like when you invest in something it's really important to know what it is you're investing in. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I think there was a time most of my life, like I said, because I grew up very uh, carefree in, in the sense of um, I lived for the moment and I didn't think a lot about preparing for the future. And so uh, I didn't take a lot of time most often in my life thinking about the decisions I was making. You know, I was shooting from the hip, you know, and I'm pretty good at that. I mean, I can get by, but um, with with Bitcoin, I I started to look at it as a an investment, um, and in order to invest in something and then sleep at night and not worry that your investment's going to zero, um, you better do some research. And so mm -hmm. that's what I started to do because, you know, I went through something really hard in two thousand eighteen financially hard in my business and it kind of it kind of took me to the lowest level of my life financially things just blew up fell apart and um i think it was like for me a reset because 
when I kind of came through it, uh, it changed my perspective on how much, how important it was to pay attention to the things I was doing, the things I was investing in. And, and so I, I wanted to be more aware going forward, you know, and not just throw money at whatever looked like it was going to be a great opportunity. There's mm -hmm. so many Ponzi schemes and, you know, pump and dumps, they call them in the crypto space where, you know, they, this great idea and then you throw money at it and then they pull the rug out from under you and you lose all your money. You know, that's pretty typical in that space. So it's a risky space. And in 2017, I jumped into crypto again with no knowledge and, and, um, 2018, the market just tanked, you know, and I lost a, a good chunk of money. I uh -huh. can't tell you how much because I really didn't pay attention to how much, but it was a substantial amount of money. Uh -huh. um, and substantial, that's a relative to a lot of people, right. you know. But, um, and I had some Bitcoin then and I sold again. I sold on the bottom, right? So I waited till it bottomed and then I panicked and I sold it. I thought, I'm done with it. Well, came back around in 2020, the market started to change and, I sort of got reinterested in it, but this time around, I decided, hey, I'm going to do some research and figure out what it is I'm I'm investing in, mm -hmm. and so that's what drove it. I think is just the idea that I didn't want to get into something that I knew nothing about, and the the amazing and fascinating thing about Bitcoin is what it did to me is it is it made me think critically about money and the financial system and the system, not just money, but our world and how it works, and um, the monetary system that we live under currently as a, as a nation and as a world where you think, you know, we just take for granted banks and credit cards, and we think this is, all, you know, you watch the, the, these commercials on TV about how these credit card companies are the best thing since apple pie. Like, they, they oh, my God, I get 2% back, cash right. back, right? Yeah. So people are like, hey, great idea, but... They're giving money away. But, but it... But they're paying 23, 24% interest, uh, you know, for the, to use the card. It's like, right. but this is what we've just been led to, to do and believe. And we don't question it very often. You know, we don't question reality. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I digress, but you said something that's interesting to me, um, that our generation is the generation that, that you were surprised that we think critically. I would say, maybe my opinion is wrong, that to me, the younger generation is the generation, and I hope that I'm wrong about this, that they don't think critically um, and that they're just buying whatever is being put down. Hmm. You know, whatever the media is selling, that's what we just accept as truth without really stopping to think. I've always felt like our generation, and of course, there's always, you know, different ideas and people on the left, people on the right. Right. You can't necessarily speak for an entire generation yeah, exactly. as exactly. all being kind of going in the same direction. But it, but I'm, I hope that young people take the time, you know, to, to ask the questions and to really pay attention to what's going on in the world today. So, so for me, that's what happened. Bitcoin became this um, catalyst where I started to go down what they, a lot of people say it's like going down a rabbit hole. And once you go in, it's very hard to come out because you, you start to see things very different. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about money today uh, and how, where we place value, you know, and then whatever we can exchange, as long as it's mutual, 
that would be considered a form of money, you know, mm -hmm. um, could be, you know, labor for goods or, you know, we could trade whatever. Um, but I'm fascinated by the idea of value and how we, how we define it. And, um, I mean, I think, I think people are the most valuable commodity on the planet, you know, genu genuinely. And I, mm -hmm. I'm interested, Jesus would say something like, um, uh, you know, no greater love has any man that he would lay down his life, right? So how much would that cost to lay down your life for your friend? You know, I mean, that's the ultimate, you know, exchange exchange of value. Right. And there's a scripture in Psalms, and it doesn't necessarily say exactly that all the money in the world could not redeem a man's soul from hell, but it's something very close to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we realize how valuable people are and how valuable the idea of that is. And so then you take this idea of money or um, a commodity and it's like, what's more important? Is it is it that or is it the person? Mm -hmm. Just a just a side note. I yeah. just it's it, it's very interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I do I want to say I do I agree with you about the generational thing. Specifically what I was thinking more about in terms of um, your generation or like my parents' generation would be less likely to look at something like Bitcoin and start thinking about that as a potential replacement or, or a thing worth upsetting a financial institution that has right. been sort of a, a standard just for everyone all the yes. time. Yes. And, but that said, in general, I, I think, you. yeah, my generation and younger, you could say as a result of just not having seen as many things. And so we have a tendency to, to look at something and jump very quickly onto it and point. think yeah. that this is what, it, this is all there is. There's, there's a lot of quick movement and energy when you're young, move from one thing to the next yes. and it's all the most important thing in the world, For right? For sure, yeah. Um, so again, like I mentioned earlier, I, I really, I want to have more people who are older to bring perspective and to like, whether it's on this podcast or just in conversation, gaining that yes. because it's really hard to have that as, as a young guy, as a young person, to not think in such small um, spans of time just because there's, there's only been so many things, you know, going on. Yes. And, and I, yeah, I just, I totally agree with you. I think maybe I misunderstood because you're right about that. I think as far as money and Bitcoin, the idea of convincing somebody that's very set in their ways financially in the financial system, the legacy, as they call it, system, mm -hmm. versus young people today that are so much more um, nimble and and interested in the digital world and uh -huh. um, digital economy and, you know, all of those things. Yes, you're absolutely correct about that. And and I, I would say um, that is challenging to try to get folks that, can't imagine like you know most people hear bitcoin and they think ponzi scheme or scam or you know or not, this is just some young yeah thing that so the like kids we're like you know right what now. who you know what's the but but and it's very hard to explain i've read yeah. books and and to this point i i cannot exactly articulate 
everything about Bitcoin that it is and uh -huh. why it is so powerful. There are right. a lot of a lot smarter people than me that do that and that do it really well. Uh -huh. And I could drop some names for your listeners that um, people that I follow that I that I'm so fascinated by and 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 love to listen to. Yeah. Uh, what are a couple names for those interested? Robert or... Breedlove. He's got a podcast called What is the What is Money Show. Okay. Amazing. Robert Breedlove. Robert Breedlove. Okay. Yes. And then uh, Michael Saylor. He doesn't have a podcast. He's a CEO of a company called MicroStrategy. Okay. And MicroStrategy is a publicly traded company. He's been the CEO for over 20 years. Incredibly smart man. Uh, MicroStrategy owns four or five billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. And you start to really see who's involved in Bitcoin and Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey and, you know, it's pretty legit, yeah. I would say. Uh -huh. But those are two really good follows. I mean, okay. Robert Breedlove's show is, or the What Is Money show is like one of my favorite shows yeah. right now. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll need to check that out. It. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. But we'll we'll back up because you, you mentioned... Um, like some of your background of being very carefree mm -hmm. and just not caring that much necessarily about money or attaining money mm -hmm. and that that's not been the the priority for you. Um, do you want to talk about when did, when did a switch for you happen as a, a young man or whenever it was into starting to think a little bit more critically and, and not, um, would you, would you say as a younger, as up to a certain point, you kind of flew by the seat of your pants a lot? 100%. Yeah, okay. Yes. So when when did that start to evolve and switch into something else? Wow. Um, boy, that's an understatement. Um, when it switched, I would say it was 2018. And, and I own a business that, that um, allows me... Um, a lot of it, it provides a lot of opportunity to make money, but also to lose money. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in the I'm in the commercial truck business. I buy and sell medium and heavy duty trucks. I'm a wholesale dealer. So my whole life, when I was a kid, I used to sell candy at school. Uh, I would go take my lunch money, go to the liquor store and buy gum, and go to go to elementary school and sell candy. Hmm. And and that 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 evolved into. When I was about 12 years old, um, I started to smoke weed. My, my stepdad was a drug dealer. So I, I started to do that sort of thing and selling that sort of stuff. But I never valued money. Again, like I said, it was just you know making deals, money in, money out. Uh -huh. um, and I carried that into my adult life. And um, as much opportunity as I had to make money, I had just as much opportunity to lose it or spend it. And that's what I did. And I raised a family that way. I mean, my wife, I put her through a lot of, you know, tough times because I was just always flying by the seat of my pants. And I would rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, I would, I, I, I was creative. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Um, and, and so much so that when I started my business in 2004, I was buying and selling cars and then it turned into buying and selling heavy duty trucks. But I got to a point in about 2000. 14 and 15, where I was doing about $12 million a year in sales, which is fairly substantial for a guy that, you know, just flew by the seat of his pants, let's right. say, yeah. um, buying and selling trucks. I wasn't doing anything illegal, but that's what I did. And I made a lot of money, 
but I spent a lot of money and I lost a lot of money. And I never thought the idea of, of saving money um, or, or learning how to let money work for me mm-hmm. just never crossed my mind. And I always just had this pie in the sky idea that I, everything's always going to be fine. There's always going to be money. It's always going to come. And I never stopped to think, maybe I should put some of this money away. You know, um, I just figured I'd just keep making more. And, and um, so I wasn't smart with money at all. And um, we lived that way. And we had some really good times. And we had some really hard times. And then in 2018, I had a you know, pretty good business rolling. And I had a line of credit. That was um, about $750,000 line of credit. It was revolving and it was tied to inventory. And, and um, at the time, we were doing a ton of philanthropy. You know? mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't say this to brag and I don't say this to, um, you know, that's not, that's not me. Right. But I was giving away at that time about $10,000 a month to charity. And, and that's not a lot of money to some people. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can remember a time when I was younger wanting to give to a charity and thinking, man, if I could just muster up 50 bucks a month, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I remember times that, like just on my knees, almost in tears, just thanking God for what he had done in my life and how I was able to be a part of so many amazing Christian works around the world like literally there were so many ministries that were coming not coming to us but that we were being exposed to through our church Uh that when i heard their stories i'm like man i want to help like i just want to jump in with both feet and so i was at the time 2018 i'm working my tail off but um and i've got you know money in money out deals are coming i sold i think four or five hundred trucks that year and and my business is very what they call capital intense so I do a deal and it might be a half a million dollar deal. Um, I don't have, I'm not, I don't have a bunch of savings cause I'm just money in money out. And that's right. how I, I, I never really even accounted. I had an account. I had a bookkeeper. She took care of the books. I never really paid attention to be honest. Cause I didn't think I had to, cause I really had this misguided idea about money. So I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I've got, I think I had two or three employees at the time. Um, you know, deals are coming at me. And again, if I look at my bank account and there's money in the account, I'm thinking, hey, everything must be great. But my credit line is, um, it's a floor plan. So it's tied to inventory. And when I sell the inventory, I'm supposed to pay the floor plan, get the title, but I'm just using it like this revolving credit, you know? And so uh, I'm really starting to fudge but I'm just keep thinking it, it's all going to sell. <laughs> It'll all right. work out. Yeah, yeah. And I've got in the back of my mind, you know, that I'm doing all this amazing charity and, and I'm not doing it. I'm not giving to get. I'm giving because like I genuinely love to give. Like yeah. that was mm-hmm. brought me no greater joy. And um, but what was happening was it was like this wheel that was turning. And as long as I had money coming in and money going out, I was able to cover my floor plan and everything was working. But I, I hit us, I hit a cycle in the industry where things slowed down and it took about two months and the wheel stopped spinning, let's say, and the bottom fell out. And I realized that I was about $400,000 in the red with my floor plan. And it just, started to cause a, an enormous amount of stress and mm-hmm. pressure. And, um, you know, I had always been able to just, you know, we call it floating, you know, I would float the floor plan. 
and uh, the bottom fell out, the wheel stopped, and, and the floor plan, I defaulted on the floor plan, and I was in the red about 430000 just to them. That didn't, uh, that didn't include other things that I had, you know, outstanding. And so it, it, um, it sort of all culminated with, um, I remember sitting at Onyx Coffee here in Bentonville. I was in town f- visiting friends and um, it, it, it just kind of hit home, you know, like, man, I'm, I'm done, you know, it's over. Mm-hmm. Business is done. And, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, 50, I'm 56 today, but this was two years ago. I was 54 years old, and I, I just couldn't see any way, any way out. Like, you know, they're calling every day, um, getting threatened with lawsuits, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, feel, like, what do I do, you know? And um, it took probably... Two or three months of what was to me some of the hardest days of my life, literally um, reckoning what I had what I had done and and how I was going to get out of it. You know, I had, didn't have any income coming in. I um, I was pretty hopeless. You know, and I've never been hopeless. I've always just been fly by the seat of my pants. I'll figure it out. You know. And, and this was like the first time in my life that I was, that I was met with this insane, to me at the time, this massive crisis that, that I couldn't see how, how I was going to get out of it. And, and ultimately, you know, I had my, my, um, my moments with, with, you know, the Lord. I had like, you know, like, ha- like just super hard, you know screaming at the top of my lungs like what the you know <laughs> i you know but bottom line i guess at the end of all that i i realized like man i got to change the way i do things and um i navigated my way out of that i i i settled with the floor plan i you know they 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 sued me and i was able to um negotiate a settlement um for about half the debt and um, I'm very happy to say that uh, it's been paid in full. You know, That's great. the settlement that we agreed on it was mm-hmm. about two hundred and twenty thousand um, dollars. Life started to come back. Business changed. You know, things loosened up. But it was sort of then that I realized that man, I've got to really change the way I do money. You know, I've got to change the way I do business. And I see, I had believed. I think there was a part of me, a small part of me, that believed, man, I'm doing all this charity. Like, Lord, your word says that if I give, it shall be given, right? And so it wasn't like I, I never gave to get, but mm-hmm. I always, in the back of my mind, just believe that, hey, it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. Like, but there are so many principles that, vi- that, that you can't violate, you know? You can't violate these, these rules, these laws, and, and I was violating them like crazy. And, what I, and, and one of the hardest things for me to do was to stop giving to, to, to these charities. And man, yeah. I would love to share these charities with people. Like, there's just... People that do such amazing things um, and that, that really need financial help. And for mm-hmm. me, like when I was giving, it was like so rewarding. And then to say, I had to call them up and say, man, I, I, I have, have to stop supporting you. And that was brutal. And I, but I realized in that that um, God doesn't need my money. Right. You know, he could find another way. But I was just, I, I was all caught up in that whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, how can I just not 
not do this anymore. And I had my, like, I would meet with my buddy, Steve, we would sit down and he'd be like, dude, you need to like pump the brakes on some of this giving you're doing and, and maybe think about like putting money away for your family or your kids. Right. It's like, I just never thought like that. Like, gosh, I should probably be thinking, you know, um, it, and so ultimately he was right. And, and, um, I came to all of it kind of all ended and, and then, um, I slowly started to come out of that, that hard time. But in coming out of that, I came out of it with a different perspective. Like, okay, I'm not going to do business like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm going to look for ways to get money to work for me, you know. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that's still, a, I'm still on that journey. I'm still trying to understand and figure that out. I'm, you know, investing in anything is scary. It's gambling at some level. Some of it's um, a lot riskier gambling, but no matter what you invest in, you're taking risk, you know. And so the more that I discover and learn about Bitcoin, the more comfortable I am sleeping at night and not, not watching the market every day. Because, you know, you can get so micro-focused, you know, um, that it'll wreck you. Yeah, drive you crazy watching it move up and down yes. constantly. Because it'll go 25% yeah. in a day and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, oh, where's my, you know. Uh-huh. And ultimately, um, you have to zoom out Yeah, in that in that sense. But yeah, that's a journey I'm still on trying to, yeah. trying to sort out. And I haven't arrived. Yeah, And I'm yeah. not even sure what arriving looks like. And at the end of the day, uh, I don't want money to be the, the thing that I'm about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I think it's secondary to the bigger things and the more important things in life. And ultimately, for me, it's eternity. I think about, you know, heaven every day and living for that and getting my family there and, you know, people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible says clearly you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. The, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Yeah, it's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah. And so learning, again, what money is and what it isn't and, and how can I um, maximize it without it becoming supreme in my life. And, right. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm wired, I think, to be a risk, risk taker. Uh-huh. Um, and my business affords me that opportunity to buy and sell things, and I get to decide, hey, this is a risk worth taking, or hey, it's not. And I've certainly had my share of big wins and my share of big losses. And 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 with Bitcoin or current cryptocurrencies or even the legacy market, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's something that you you got to decide: is this worth the risk? And mm-hmm. but it's more than that for me. It's 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 created this this real interest in money in general, yeah. human capital, and mm-hmm. what drives people to do what they do. Ultimately, it all comes down to, to where we place value. Right. You know, everything we do is tied to that mm-hmm. and how we do it. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. It is. I love that you, I, at a certain point, I was kind of laughing inside because I was thinking about something. You, you mentioned how one of the hardest things was just having to, talk with these charities and and say like i just i can't give what i was giving before and just recently for me i've been on my whatever level i'm on with all these things been taking and reassessing my finances and my decisions i'm making 
and we I had I actually sat down with a friend of mine and was talking about this and he without knowing any of the numbers or looking at anything said you know you just gotta you gotta think about maybe how much you're giving and maybe step back on those things in addition to a bunch of other stuff he said and I thought step back on giving yeah I I don't is that what a, what is is that part of a solution for me because similarly to I think what you were saying money itself has never been uh, very important to me I was taught like put it away because it's it's super valuable and I didn't really understand what that meant and then just as older older I got the more I thought it, like people matter a lot more to me and I think it's very clear that uh, Jesus wants me to be generous and I don't want to to think that my life and my world is dependent upon my money only right so I, I've tried to be very generous about giving, and any time the thought was, should I give, it's always like God saying, well, of course you should give. And then I think some number comes to my head, and I have to ask the question, like, am I going to be okay if that's how much I give? Of course I yes. am. And yes, I, while I believe that's true, and, and I'll, I'll have always been taken care of, um, at a certain point, I've realized just recently, like, even if I'm generous with my giving where I am, it's almost, it feels wrong at a certain point for me because I know I'm not necessarily giving what's mine. Because if I'm in debt, even just a little bit, if I'm kind of, if I'm in the red in my finances and my thought is, well, I got to keep giving anyways, I'm keeping myself from being able to get into the green so that I can give out of a place of abundance. Right. I'm not giving out of a place of abundance. I'm just like in this system that is kind of, I, I'm just still living in a way that I'm not being the greatest steward of the resources I've been given. Right. And trying to do what I'm supposed to do on top of that rather yeah. than first learning, how do I be a good steward so that I have something to give? Yes. And since we live in an age with credit and where you kind of have a card that you can just spend on, even though it's not necessarily money that's yours, it's easier for me to give what I don't have. And that's been something I've had to think about just recently is there's been all these things coming in of ways you can give, ways that I can give um, to, to things that I think are great to people I, I know and love and care about and different causes that matter. And I'm like, I just, I recognize that I have to step back and say, is that even mine? Do I, do I have right now enough to give? Yeah. And it's been really weird, honestly. Yes. Having to say no to giving because I kind of just assumed like you, you always say, you always say yes to giving, but I, I don't think that's wrong. But through other, other yeses, I have not been the greatest steward of what I have. And so I, I'm trying to learn how to build back up because God does, I think, want to bless us so that we can bless others. Yes. Um, but that, that, was, that was interesting to me that you brought that up. Like that was the hardest thing. It was really to start, hard. To yeah. learn how to say no to giving. Yeah. In some sense, absolutely, and and you you feel a for me it was a sense of I don't know I'm sure it was wrong the way I was thinking because I, like I said I God doesn't need my money at all 
Um, and so at the end of the day, that's what I did, you know, and, and I think the idea, like you, you said a couple of things that were interesting to me there and, you know, it's all part of the, the, the journey of learning, you know, how to, how to take care of your money, you know, and, and, and your, your wealth, whatever that wealth is. Mm -hmm. And, and debt is a, is a killer, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and it'll rob you. So if you got money in the bank, let's say, and you're saving, and I don't know what the rate, you know, most banks are given like a half a percent, like it's nothing, but then you've got, you know, 20% on a credit card, you know, that's just, you're bleeding every month money. Yeah. And, and there is a way. And again, this for me, I'm on that journey too. I'm trying to learn it and discover it. Um, there is a way though to, to be debt free and to get money to work for you where you're, you're actually not bleeding money, but you know, you're, you're making money, mm -hmm. um, with, with just smart, smart investments and, um, you know, really paying attention. And I think, I think a big part of that is just, is just learning, you know, opening yourself up to learn. And I, and, and I'm not, I love to learn. Um, sometimes I just didn't pay attention to what I was learning. You know, I just, I just thought I knew better or, or I didn't take the time to think about like, Hey, this is, you know, this is really, this is really not okay. You know, like to be in debt, for example, and then try to be a, um, you know, giving money while you're in debt, you know, is that right? It's a great question. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, great question. Yeah. And it does, it, we've kind of been making mention and kind of evolving around certain themes, this whole conversation. A lot of it seems like it comes down to faith and, and God and your relationship with him. So I'd love to go back and talk about that because um, it is the most important thing 100%. and does change everything about the way that you choose to live and the decisions you Absolutely. make. Absolutely. So you were talking a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing before we started recording. Um, so I'm curious within that context, was God at all in the picture or religion? In, in some regard, I'm sure you would have been exposed to it because living in America, you well, always are. Yeah. But yeah. what was that like growing up? So growing up, my when I was a little boy, um, I have memories. Um, my dad left when I was five, but prior to him leaving, I have memories of church. My dad took us to Baptist church every Sunday, and I have memories of Sunday school and, you know, just some songs that I remember in my head or, you know, crafts that I did, just little, mm -hmm. you know, blips of memory yeah. that existed in my world. And then when my dad left, my mom was not a, a, a person of faith growing up, and so church wasn't ever in my life anymore. But I can remember it was probably 12 or 13 years old going to my, I had a friend who was, who was Catholic and he would take us, I would go to catechism with him after school. And there were things I couldn't participate in because I wasn't Catholic. Mm -hmm. But I can remember um, as a little boy, you know, missing my dad terribly and praying at night for him to come home, you know, when I was five, six, seven years old. And then I remember at 12 or 13 being in a Catholic church and my friend Louis um, was doing confession. And of course I couldn't do confession, I wasn't Catholic. But I remember being on my knees in, um, in a Catholic church um, in, in the sanctuary and, and praying. And 
yet I, I grew up a very dysfunctional family, um, lots of bad things happening around me, drugs, alcohol. My aspirations as a kid were very misguided. You know, I was a drug dealer in high school, um, just just a lot of lot of mess, you yeah. know. But mm-hmm. but not as bad as a lot of people. So um, it you know could have been a lot worse than it was. But I had a lot of really wrong ideas. And but I remember about eighteen years old having a girlfriend and getting invited to a, a, a listen to an evangelist at a Catholic church. Oddly enough, um, Charlie Osborne was his name, and I remember him preaching the gospel. And to me, it made perfect sense. And it bore witness with my soul, like, man, this guy is so right. <clears throat> but I was still a very worldly guy, <clears throat> um, really lost. And leaving that night, not making a decision for Christ, just mo- going on with my life thinking, like, yeah, I agree, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but then moved to San Diego when I was 20. From? The Bay from Area. From the Bay Northern Area. California. Okay. Moving to San Diego when I was 20, being in San Diego and getting invited to a church in San Diego, Catholic church, same girlfriend, her mom took us. And oddly enough, it was the same guy. Charlie Osborne was there. Huh. And I don't know if she knew intentionally that he was going to be that, there that night. Same thing. heard the gospel again. Man, it's just so good, so right. Yes, I, I agree. But my life was so <laughs> messed up. Like, I was not thinking, I need to change or I need to accept Christ. It just like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Like, I just had yeah. that idea. Uh-huh. And then I got saved probably a year and a half or two years later. I went to an event, didn't go to get saved, wasn't thinking getting saved, went because I thought the world of myself, I thought I was, you know, just, I thought I was, a, you know, God's gift to the planet, you know, God's gift to women. Uh-huh. And I was invited by a girl to, to a banquet um, at a nice country club, and I went just to go eat food and heard you could meet nice girls in church and you know so like hey let's go so yeah, uh-huh. but but i heard i heard the gospel and i responded to it that day and it really did it really had a, a like an impact on my soul like my heart i still was an incredibly worldly guy incredibly messed up like i can't i'm embarrassed to even imagine the person that i was like i was a train wreck but so um, what do you think was different that you had a year or so prior to that, heard the gospel, thought, yes, this is great, I agree, but didn't respond. And then at this point, you go and you hear it again, and now there's something different. Yeah, I guess, you know, God works in mysterious ways, you know, and I think he, he all my life was preparing me for that moment. And I wasn't at a bottom. I was a firefighter when I was young, so I got I got and I and it wasn't because I was talented or because I had worked hard and deserved it. It was because of who I was dating, um, the general manager's daughter, and I managed to finagle my way in, and and um, so I had a fairly good life on the outside, on the surface, but on the inside, I was really literally was a train wreck, um, and um, so I wasn't at the bottom when I came to Christ. I mean, I was at the bottom, don't get me wrong. I just didn't know I was at the bottom, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I thought yeah. I was doing great. Externally, was, you had the things you Yeah, you I had needed. the, I was, the, in, in the world's eyes, I probably looked great. I, uh-huh. I was really good with, you know, women. Like, that was my whole passion in life and my mission in life. See, I, when I was young, I had mom and four sisters for a number of years, and then my stepdad, and he was never a dad to me. So I grew up around a lot of 
a lot of women. My, my older sisters were all, um, three of them were homecoming queens. Um, one of them probably could have been, but she was on drugs and alcohol. She'd gone down the wrong, they all did ultimately. But so I grew up around a lot of really beautiful girls. My, all my sisters had beautiful friends. And so I was just, for me, affirmation, you know, we all need that growing up. Mm -hmm. And, and I was incredibly insecure kid. I was, um, alone a lot when my dad left. I was with babysitters and, you know, I just was, found myself alone and I was super insecure. You wouldn't know that about me today, but I was incredibly insecure as a, as a kid and even through high school. And the one thing that I had that I learned to sort of capitalize on, and I'm not saying that I'm a great looking guy, like, but, but I had something that gave me an in and, and helped me to, to at least find us some kind of self-worth uh -huh. and yeah. that self-worth was so wrapped up in this identity that I was creating that really it wasn't me but it's what got me in and gave me a sense of worth right yeah. and it validated me as a person and so girls and women became my highest aim in life and if I could you know I, I just I was always in pursuit and if I could get a girl to like me, then it gave me a sense, I guess, of self-worth. And so um, I was living that life hard and fast, and um, it was the only thing really that mattered. And, and that's looking back. Like at the time, it wasn't like I was aware of that so much. Uh -huh. Yeah. It was just that that's what I had evolved into. And um, at 20 years old, 21 years old, um, I got the day that I got saved, I will say this. The people that were there, I had never met people that were more genuine in my whole life, even to this day. Like, there was something so amazing and attractive about most of the people that were at that banquet that day. And I had gone to a couple other church things in the months prior to me getting saved. And, and honestly, and I'm not no knock against that church or those people, but it just wasn't my thing. I didn't feel comfortable there. It didn't feel real or genuine. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it wasn't, but it just wasn't. But the day I got saved, there was uh, there was particularly a couple men there that one of them who became my pastor for a short time before he passed away, and he 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 was probably the closest thing to God I had ever experienced. Mm. And and uh, I had not known really the love of an adult man in in that way. I grew up like I said, no, really not a father in my life, and so you know, how we guys are, like, we're just, we just close up and, yeah. you know, it's all surface. And this guy had something about him where he, I felt the love of God every time I got around him and it was undeniable. And he never once said to me like, God, man, you're, you're a mess or you should really like think about changing your lifestyle. He just was interested in having conversation with me. And it's such an impact on my life. You know, it was Christ ultimately, but it was Christ in him. And mm -hmm. the day I got saved, it was like something changed in my life. And it was the beginning of my journey out of Egypt, as they say. Yeah. You know, I was I was a train wreck. I had so many vices. I didn't I didn't turn them all over that day. You know, I knew in my heart I wanted the Lord. But I also was like, Lord, if you're real, I want you. If you're not real, I don't want you. You know, I don't want to mm. pretend. I don't want religion. I've got, you know. So I was smart enough to at least recognize that something had changed in my heart. And and that was that was like 30 years ago, you know. And, and it's been an 
it's been a journey out. Yeah. You know, and you know, that's how we grow up. Like we uh -huh. learn and, and it's just an amazing, when I look back, it's like, you know, to think of where I was, you know, 30 plus years ago and where I am today, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey, but it's like, um, probably, you know, I could think of uh, so many times where, um, I don't know, just, you, you know, you, the transformation is pretty remarkable on yeah. the one hand. On the other hand, it, it, like, why did it have to take so long? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. But looking <laughs> back, it's incredible though. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, even for me, that's, that's been something I've been just giving thanks for a lot recently in my life. I tell people every year closer to 30, I'm happier because <laughs> I, I recently have been able to look back at my life and think every year has been better than the last one. And even though a lot of it has been the hardest for me, the hardest time in my life was like 2019, 2020, or particularly 2019 and then 2020 kind of things started shifting a lot. And a lot of things changed that required a lot from me that was very very uncomfortable but it created growth and it, it like set me on a different trajectory and now i'm able to look at my life and be thankful just because i can see change because yeah. i can see what i would call progress and that doesn't mean it's necessarily super linear it's it's just that i can see this is where i was and today I can say, honestly, I think I'm closer to God than I was. Yeah. My relationship with him has changed. It's gotten better. It's evolved. And being able to look back and see it that way is huge because yeah. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm just floundering in an ocean. I, I feel like I can, I can see progress, but only because I remember where I was. Yeah. And, and that's even just a shorter span of time. It's not 30 years. It's, it's four years yeah. of something changing and it's setting off this chain reaction that affects everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. And I, you know, I was just thinking about my family, my kids, I got seven kids and my wife and, you know, I mean, I can just tell you, it's been a amazing journey. Like I, I remember when I met my wife, I had, I had been, a Christian. I was 1998 when I met her, and and I was well nine ten years in as a Christian, and I had had seasons where I knew that it was, you know, this 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 relationship with women had been this this constant. And I had remember telling my pastor when I first got saved, like like I I I want the Lord, but man, I could never give up women. The idea of giving up women to me was like, like crazy, you know? And, um, and, you know, he was so gracious. He would never say like the, well, the Bible says, you know, and he would always just say, you know what, don't, don't overwhelm yourself with all of the problems in your life. He would say, ask God for one thing that, that, that he's putting his finger on in your life and focus on that you know, and, um, those were really, really great words of wisdom for me because I was the kind of guy that I had a lot of insecurity and a lot of fear in my life. 
And so by default, I, I would get really anxious. You know, anxiety was, was a real problem for me uh, coming out of that world and that, you know, the, all those things that were going on inside that we really, apart from the grace of God and knowing Christ, we would never even realize were taking us out and destroying our lives. Like so many mm. people live every day in this world that's so chaotic and there's no anchor, there's nothing that they can plant their feet on to say, okay, I'm going to grab on right here, right? And when the storms come, I'm going to hold on and I'm going to get through this and I'm going to figure this thing out. And, and so when I came to Christ, it was like, there were so many things in my life that were just so out of whack and so misguided and emotions and feelings and this this chaos that sort of just evolved around my, my this around me and so not trying to ha- kind of just you know overcome it all at once and mm-hmm. you know so his his you know his words to me were like just read your bible every day and if god puts his finger on something in your life focus on that you know and so coming out of all that 10 years in, I'm, I'm cleaning myself up, not because it's even intentional as much as it's just the Word of God is doing a work in me that I don't even realize it's happening. And, you know, a few few bouts with backsliding and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd get frustrated and whatever and find a reason to jump ship and, you know, go taste the world, get beat up for a while and then come back like empty and broken, you know, like there's got to be more. Like ultimately that's what it comes down to. But then meeting my wife, and, um, you know, when, when I met her, uh, it was like insanely attracted, but, you know, trying to be a, a good Christian man. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was teaching a Bible study. She was coming. We had a good, built a good relationship, friends, and, um, and, then, and then sort of panic overcame me. And I was like, the idea of, you know, marriage, one wife, you know, one woman for the rest of all these things are to, yeah, yeah. you know, and so tailspin you know, default back to an old relationship, um, come to my senses and then realize that she's the one, you know, she's the one God had prepared for me from the beginning of time. And I believe, but my pastors at the time were like, you have no idea. They told her, if you have no idea what you're getting into. Are you sure you want to marry this guy? <laughs> they knew a lot about me. Yeah. You know, we were very uh-huh. close. And so they knew, knew kind of my world and where I'd been and, Kind of what I was going through, and but but it was but it was the beginning for me of another level of working out. You know, apart from being married, for me and probably for most people, marriage is a is a level of of self denial and sacrifice that that ultimately we're called to. It's never easy, but my wife is like, you know, the probably the one person in this world that could have stuck with me. You know. Because I still had that vice in my life. I still had that bent, that tendency for finding my affirmation in, in females. Like I wanted, not, and again, it wasn't so conscious as much as it was just this thing mm-hmm. that had been, that evolved from my childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, incredibly insecure, really broken, hurting like crazy because my dad's walked out on me and then trying to latch on to something that gives me a sense of worth and love. And, and for me, that became women. And it really was... Ultimately, I look back and I have so many regrets for the relationships that I had and the people that I damaged along the way, and I wish I could go back to every one of them and apologize. But my wife stuck it out, 
you know, we had some moments and some close calls, you know, by the grace of God, I never did anything, you know, never committed adultery, but I came close. And, and I was honest with my wife, at, at, you know, when, it, when I was asked, um, you know, I tried to stuff it, bury it, hide it, you know, walked away from it. It came mm-hmm. close in a relationship, but I don't know why I'm going down this road. But just to say that, that but God, but the, the journey and, mm-hmm. and looking back and, you know, acknowledging like, man, she, she stayed with me the whole time and um, she could have walked out on me. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be here today. You know, if it wasn't for her in my life, and then having we have seven kids, it's like yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, so so all this chaos that I come out of, and and still have a lot of in my life, like it doesn't just go away. You know, right? But it's again, it's it's, it's um, figuring it out. Uh-huh. And you bear it well. Yeah, and we're on a journey. Like this isn't over. So I look, I look at where we're at, and I look at my kids, and and the mistakes that we've made the financial mistakes we made, you know, like, um, and I, and I'm still very hopeful that, Hey, God will use it. You know, mm-hmm. there is there regret. Yeah. I mean, gosh, if I'd have just knew, if I'd have had just done a little bit of research about Bitcoin in 2017, I'd, I'd probably be a multimillionaire. I'd no doubt I would be, I owned enough, you know, but, but just didn't, didn't have the brains to stop and think. Right. But then I think this, maybe at that time, that money would have destroyed my life. You know, it's so when you think about money and you think about what could I do with all that money, it could, it could have wrecked me. Yeah. You know, it could have been the very th- reason that I did walk away from my marriage, thinking, oh, I've got all this money. So in some ways, I think it saved me, you know. And so now I feel like I'm in a position where my mo- I think my motives are right. I want to I be a good steward of what God gives. And I, I mean, do I want to be rich? There's a part of me that would love to have enough money to not ever have to worry about money again, and to be to have to be able to give. But I also understand the danger. Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends locally in Bentonville that know people that are billionaires, and I hear he tells me some things. And you know, money's not always that great. You know, yeah. on the outside and on the surface, it's like, oh man, wouldn't that be me? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. But it. it there's a lot of problems that come along with it. Mm-hmm. So God knows what He's doing. Yeah. You know, at the end yeah. of the day. And I mean, you have uh, you have the the perspective to be able to look at something like what you went through in 2018, and recognize um, maybe mistakes you made, but then recognize how it changed you and the the opportunity for growth that it provided. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's that does make more of a difference. I mean, as much as we can look back and say, what would it be like if I had held on or if I had known more? Yeah. If you were permitted, you could say, by God, to go through something and maybe make a decision or make decisions that later you'll look back on and think, oh, I could have done better. He still, he let you go down that path and he knew what you would learn. He knew what you would learn and how it would change you. And yeah, maybe it is like if you had done this thing, it would have spiraled you out of control. Um, There's no way of knowing that's... One of my mottos for myself at this stage, and I've recently had someone kind of pose a, a change in the language around it for me, but I tend to think I, I don't want to regret anything, and I don't think I regret anything that I've done, but I regret things I've not done. Hmm. And my basic reasoning for that is just I don't 
have enough confidence in my ability to shape my life to know that I should have done anything different. I can look back at things and know like that was stupid or that wasn't that wasn't done in a in the right like I wasn't in the right mindset. Or I didn't have the right motive in that thing. But if I'm thankful for who I am today, then I have to be thankful for what I've gone through yesterday. And yeah. it, it can be hard because um, it, it can also sound like affirming the poor decisions that we make. But it's not about that for me. It's just ultimately it's about I have trust in somebody who knows that whole journey that I'm on. Yeah. And I do want to trust him with it. And if I did trust him fully, I wouldn't make as many mistakes as I do. But at, at least I have that to lean on. Like, at least I do have that anchor. Absolutely. To know if I make a mistake, which I'm going to, when I make mistakes, I have the opportunity to learn something from it and say, okay, God, where do we go from here? Yes. And I, yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to not have that. I can imagine. I'm fortunate to ha- for it to only be imagining. The- yeah, that's a really adult perspective. Um and I think it's it's a really great way to live. Um, it's hard not to look back with without regret, you know. At times, mm-hmm. particularly when 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 other people are affected by our our choices in life, and that's something that I've mm-hmm. been challenged with at times because I have, like I said, I got seven kids, and my oldest daughter is my stepdaughter. And so when I met when I met my wife Kathy and married her, Jolene was I think Jolene was six, and, and then we've had six kids together. But there's always that, boy. You know, looking back, I should have done it different. I mean, I I used to think I was really smart, and I used to think I was really smart about raising kids. And you know, with my daughter Jolene, she's got a really good dad back home in San Diego, and she had a good dad in her life when I met Kathy. But I, I was of the opinion at the time that uh, weekend dads were not good for kids, you know, and that I was going to be this great dad and I was going to be her dad. And, you know, boy, was I wrong, you know. And it was probably a year into our relationship and, you know, that um, I came to my senses and I was like, like, man, what would I be thinking if somebody had kind of married, you know, my daughter's mom? Mm-hmm. And, and wanted to cut me out of the picture. Like, right. yeah. you know, so then I went totally the other direction. And, and um, you know, with Jolene, she's an amazing young lady, bright. Um, but I, I just was so, you know, um, <laughs> so you talk about, you know, that's one of my, one of my regrets as a dad. Um, although she had a great, she had a great life. We gave her a good life, but um, certainly could have done things so much better. And we learned along the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, 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 you know, you can't live with those. You know, like I said, we do the best we can based on what we know. And, yeah. you know, um, it does no good to beat ourselves up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, gosh, I, you know, I, I'm sure I overanalyze everything in life when it comes to, I've done a couple weddings and, it, and in both weddings I've done, it's like, man, I should have done this. I made this, like I've like officiated. Officiated? Yeah. Okay, a couple of, yeah. Like, okay, so I've learned two really good lessons there, I, you know. And it's funny because I'll replay those in my mind like way more yeah. than I should, you know, where like just, and I know that's probably seems so dumb, but 
it's just weird. It's like it's I very did, relatable. I did my nephew's wedding, yeah, and it's okay. like, you know, I, I I just could have done so much better. <laughs> it is what it is, but um, but yeah, you can't live with regret, and so you know, all we have is right now. You're right, mm -hmm. and and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that. I'm just gonna be thankful for the past and everything. I think yeah, it's a good way to live. I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and we were comparing regret and jealousy in terms of what those emotions feel like. And I was trying to think if I, which I have more experience with. I, I think it's more common for me to have jealousy, but when I feel regret, it's it's a deeper, it's a deeper thing because I really recognize what it is. I really recognize in that moment anyway. Um, what it meant that I saw something and I said, this is what I should do. And I chose not to yeah. because of fear. That's a horrible, horrible feeling. Yeah. And it is a similar, I said, it feels like it's a very hot, deep emotion. It feels very warm, but not, 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 not a good kind of warmth. Yeah. 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 Um, well, well, I think, I mean, for somebody your age to be thinking along those lines and to be aware, right. Is, is, like I said, it's it's pretty adult-like. And I think we live in a society where the idea of, um, and I use that word, I probably think of a better word, but it is a mature way to think. Um, because I don't think a lot of people take the time to think about things like that, um, at least at a level, you know, that, that provokes change, you know, that we can look back and go, okay, well, I didn't do that right, and I maybe I let fear get in the way of, this decision, but I'm not going to let it get in the way of the next decision, you know, and doing what you're doing, for example, with, you know, taking time today to sit down with me, to me says a lot. And I think it's commendable, you know, that you uh, become aware of things that maybe you aren't comfortable with, but you do it anyway, because you know, you're going to benefit from it in the long run. You know, and I have, I have kids and I mean, I, I mean, I have, you know, kids and the biggest thing for me as a parent, when you have your kids, the thing that makes you the one of the things that makes you frustrated there's a lot of things that will frustrate you about kids but <laughs> one of the things is fear you know it's like you want your kids to experience certain things in life mm -hmm. and they don't do it because they're afraid and you just know that that fear is a lie it's not based on anything in reality and so how do you get your sons or your daughters out of this mindset that I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid right and I think that's one of the biggest regrets potentially in life that you would live with such fear that it would keep you from living your dream for example mm -hmm. or doing things that you love to do or you know doing anything that that that's uncomfortable you know so um i could think of a few folks that i would love to help in that in that area mm. um i think it's really smart yeah, it's huge. I was actually, before you got here, I was listening to a, a previous episode of the podcast that just came out today um, with my friend Raul Flores. And we talked about fear a bit in his conversation. Um, he talked about it as an ever-present thing for him. And you would never, I would never have thought that looking at him, yeah. looking at the way he chooses to live his life. But it's it's a result of recognizing fear and recognizing that he has to push past that if he wants to grow and if he wants to experience things. And something he said that I'm trying to remember the exact wording of, 
uh, I think he said, and this was something a friend shared with him, that it's 15 seconds of fear or a lifetime of regret. Wow. Because it really is whenever it's, it seems like, yeah, it seems like when you, when you face something that's inspiring that fear, it immediately sets in and you know, oh, I'm afraid, but it's almost as if that's telling you this is something you should do. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, don't do this. That's stupid. You should right, be afraid right. of that. Um, but it, it's if you can manage to push past that moment and do the thing, it's like it goes away and you recognize the value of what you're getting to do. At least in part, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and later on you can look back and see how valuable it actually was. But just being able to recognize this fear it can be very short-lived, or I can choose to bend to it and live with the regret of making that decision. Man, that is a really profound statement. <laughs> it really is, and I, I cannot agree with you more. And, you know, I grew up incredibly insecure, and fear has always been present in my life. And I'm sure that it still plays a part in my life today. Um, there's things that I'm less afraid of. Um, I used to be very afraid of public speaking, conversations. Um, but that, you know, that's just, I, it's just worked out. You know, like the yeah. Lord has a way of, of, of really fixing so much of us that is broken, you know, and not by any formula necessary, necessarily. It just, it's just a byproduct of, of, of the word of God that, that, that cleanses us and heals us and, and, and reshapes us and changes the way we think, the way we see. Um, but, but yeah, fear is, um, it is just an ugly thing. Yeah. And, and that is such a great statement. 15 seconds of fear or a lifetime, or a lifetime of, regret. of regret. Like yeah. that is, I mean, that kind of sums up a lot of people's lives really, you know? Um, so I think about, like I said, you know, um, my kids, like one of the, one of the most frustrating things as a parent is, you know, like teaching my kids to swim, you know, it's like we had to push past fear, uh -huh. you know, um, and you almost have to force it as a parent, you know, but, but that's just one thing, you know, and then it's like every level, you know, sports, I got two boys in sports and, you know, this, this block that says, well, I'm not good enough or the other guys are too good and and I can't compete, you know, like that's a big deal, mm -hmm. you know? And if you allow it to, to, to set you down once, it's not just going to next time allow you to stand up and do something. No, it's it just gonna, compounds. It compounds. Yeah. So, man, that's a, that's a great, great thought. Yeah. And perfect love casts out fear. It that, does. I mean... Whether it's, it's, you know, in the practical thinking about how do we go about doing that, facing fear. Um, a lot of it for me is experimenting with exposure therapy. Like, just, get, just do it. Get mm -hmm. on, face it and see how it affects you. And it does, it gets easier over time. Like, I mean, this for me, talking to people, having conversation, I still get nervous before doing this podcast. Oh, do you really? Yeah, I'm just sitting down having a conversation with people. Um but if it does feel like it's it gets less over time because yes. I'm getting used to it. I'm realizing yes. more and more each time I get to do something that inspires fear, I get to see how much of that is actually a lie. 
like how much of this fear is just total nonsense that right. shouldn't be there. That's exactly that's right. That's built up from childhood things or assumptions that I had just kind of formed in my head because I perceived things in a certain light when I was younger. Um, but the closer I get to God, to this perfect love, the more I see that those things don't, they don't matter. They don't make sense. They, they're not substantial enough for me to be making decisions based on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's false imaginations. You start to imagine outcomes before actually engaging in whatever it is that 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 is challenging you at that moment. You've yeah. already bought into this idea that that it's not going to go well mm-hmm. and it's going to I'm going to fail and you know, whatever it is, like you said, because you know, we can get afraid of a, a bazillion things, you know. And 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 like I said, it was so present in my life. There was a season in my life where I literally I want to say probably a good 10 years straight of like anxiety attacks every day. Mm. Every day I was having anxiety. And my mother, um, she, when I was about 18 years old, she went through uh, a very dark season in her life, very dark depression. Um, and the end of that depression was uh, insanity. Bipolar, you know, she was crazy, you know. Um, and and when I say crazy, I mean like walk down the street with no clothes on, crazy. Mm. Um, and that was hard, you know, as a young adult coping. And, and and I'm not a victim in that, but I recognized uh, that it created in me this terror that that was going to happen to me, that I was going to by genetics or by hereditary. I was going to somehow end up like my mom, you know, and um, I had already had these tendencies, a lot of fear growing up because of all this insecurity surrounding my life as a child. And so um, I was a Christian and, and it, when it, when it hit me, um, I remember, I can remember the day it came on me. I was in the hospital. I had just had surgery on my neck. I was a fireman. It was 1992 and I'm laying in this hospital bed and I'm, I'm on this morphine drip for pain and I hated the way I was feeling. I was just feeling doped. And and all of a sudden, it was just this random thought, like, that life was really scary and that I had no control. And uh, I, had, I was saved at the time. But it just created in me this, in, this sense of dread. Every day I would get out of bed with this this sense of impending doom, like life was going to be really bad today and I could die. And I mean, it just would not get off of me. And I, and for for years, literally, and there were seasons, right? So, but it was almost every day. And it was like, how do I shake this? And the only thing I could do was just push through. I didn't want to get on medication because I knew I saw what it did to my mom. And I, I was, I was a Christian, and so I was just hanging on to the word like, like I never hung on before. And you know, I was singing and. You know, I mean, I would have panic attacks in the car and I would just, all I could do was just cry out, cry out to the Lord, sing, just do anything to get my mind, you know, <laughs> away from this thought that was just constant. And, um, I, you know, it's just such a really weird time in my life. And, you know, being a fireman and just feeling every day I'd go to work with this sense of just, there was a void, it was empty, and I was terrified, you know, terrified of life. And I think only by the grace of God. And I remember, like I said, just seasons in my life where 
um, I, I just held on to the promises of God. Somehow this is going to get me through it. Most people today would never even realize or know that that, that was even part of my, my, my journey. But yeah, I mean, I, I had massive anxiety for a long time. And then anytime I recognized I got through it, because when you're not thinking about yourself, you know, you don't, it doesn't, that's what I learned. You know, I was really self-absorbed in a lot of ways, um, trying to figure myself out and my life and where I was and where I was going. And um, as I got out of that, it just left. It just went silent. Mm-hmm. That, that sense of doom and dread and panic went silent. And, and then we would enter a season of uncertainty. We bought a house and we're moving and all of a sudden, bam, there it was right back on my lap. And for another couple of years, I was fighting this thing. And, um, I mean, it's been many, many years I haven't had to even, it doesn't even come up in my thoughts, you know, um, but it's real when it does, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you got to push through. That's at the end of the day, you just have to push through. And I, and I, like I said, I have a lot of, in, you know, a lot of things that I'm, I would say, you know, that I would love to do that maybe it is fear that's kind of holding me back at some level, but, um. But that big thing, it's quiet. That's it's great. I know. So what was, was there something happening at that time that it, it shifted and it like that? Broke. That, yeah, it broke. I would say that I, I immersed myself after I left the fire service and, and uh, I immersed myself in um, ministry. I got involved as a young adult. I was, let me say young adult. I was, I was probably your age, you know. <laughs> um, I, I just, I decided that I wanted to help young teenagers, young boys and girls that were hurting and struggling. I wanted to do something. I wanted to start a ranch, oddly enough, to for homeless kids, you know. And um, so I, it was a pursuit that I took up. And, and it, it, it really consumed a, 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 such a big part of my life at that time to the point where uh, I didn't have time to think about myself. I mean, I got so wrapped up in this work, um, and it was probably one of, the, one of the best times of my life. I was um, left the fire service in 94. Um, I won't go into why I left, but um, I did. I gave up an amazing career, but I was empty. I was mm-hmm. I was completely empty there and completely feeling this sense of doom and dread and anxiety that I was going through, but also this sense of like, there's more, there's got to be more. And I left there, I came, came home with really like, what am I going to do with my life? And I really felt like the Lord at that time, as much as I could hear him say, um, teen challenge or teen rescue, you know, this idea of getting involved with young people. And so I was going to go raise millions of dollars to help kids. That's kind of the idea I got. And I remember calling this um, this charity or this organization that raises money or helps charities raise money. And the, one, the first question the guy asked me was, well, you, have you worked with kids before? I was like, well, no. He's like, well, like maybe you should go try that first before you try to raise money, uh-huh. you know? And so I took his advice. I went and got involved in uh, prison ministries for kids and mentor programs, and I immersed myself. And honestly, it, it, it changed my life. 
it, it was at the time I was single and, and I was, um, I was fortunate, you know, it was, it wasn't an easy journey. Um, but the relationships that I built along the way and, um, the opportunities that I was given were some of the, some of the best times that I've ever had. I, there's a, there's a, there's a true, the Bible, when it says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. There yeah. was a sense of, of real purpose in that season of my life where I, I was so filled with joy that I was able to be a part of something like that. Going into a prison or juvenile hall at the time, um, at that time, back in the early 90s, there was still a lot of open doors there, and the gospel was not being as... wasn't They weren't as hostile to it. So there was an organization that had this great open door with Juvenile Hall in San Diego. And so two nights a week, I was going in there with a group of guys, and we would go into you know, these units and share with these young guys the word and and just tell them there's a better way, you know. And and when they're in prison, they're very captive and they're very interested in what you have to say genuinely. And so there was there was I remember coming out of there after we would have our meetings and spend time with the kids. We'd do a Bible study, and we'd sit around and play dominoes and just hang out and build relationships. Uh-huh. And have conversation. You know, and there was something so meaningful and valuable. And I remember coming out of there on some of the nights and just, I mean, there was never a drug or anything I had ever done that gave me that sense of joy that I was feeling at, at those times. And that led on this amazing journey that that, that took me um, to a ranch in Missouri and, um, you know, almost, but then, but then life happens and things happen and things shifted and it all ended, you know. And um, worked for another guy in San Diego doing mentor as a mentor coordinator. He's going to churches and recruiting adult mentors to to uh, mentor you know kids from single parent families in San Diego, and uh, that was rewarding. But I but um, I met my wife, and and um, things shifted a little bit, and started raising a family, and money became you know, a little more important. So, mm. but that, those were great times. And that's, I think what, what helped me come out of that, all of that anxiety and all that pressure and all that sort of like, what am I going to do with myself kind of thing? Just, it all shifted, mm. you know? And then again, marriage, kids, pressure, anxiety reintroduced itself into my life. We just bought a house and then there was like insane amount. But I, I learned, I learned from that too, that circumstances in life create, turmoil you know and and we got to go back to that source and that to, for me was just getting back and getting reconnected with the lord and, and trying to trying to find my way to him and and the, the plans and purposes that he has for my life because there nothing else matters you know and that's been the journey it's been the journey the whole way through yeah at some level it's very encouraging it's encouraging to hear you at your stage still saying you're on a journey and you're figuring things out because it it's it's um as you know when you're younger that it that you have that feeling and you have a tendency to think like that's it um or you you'll never get there and you think of it i think of it in terms of like arriving almost it's really hard to to 
appreciate the journey more and just recognize it and say where I am is where I am and that's okay. Um, it says encouraging as odd maybe as it sounds to for you in your 50s to still be saying I'm on the journey and I'm in process. Mm. For me at 27 to hear that and to think, oh, maybe I'll, I'm still probably going to be in process and on that journey and when I'm in my 50s. That's great because it gives me more perspective on where I am now. It's it's not about figuring it out and locking in and saying, oh, there it is. Now I've arrived and now I've got it figured out. I don't think life's ever like that. Yeah, I don't I don't know that you would ever say like, oh, I'm, I've, I'm arrived. I've arrived. Yeah. I think it's funny because I don't feel I don't feel like I'm in my 50s. Um, it's weird, to be honest with you. When I hang around <laughs> younger guys like you, um, I start to think I don't. I think of. I think of myself as a younger guy, and yet there's a part of me that is. Um, it's funny. Some of the guys from the coffee shops, you know, I'll work out with them, or you know, I've had them over at the house for Bible study, mm-hmm. and I almost feel like, well, time out. Like maybe I should pull back a little bit. Like I don't want them to think I'm some like, you know, like I'm trying to, you know, rediscover my youth, yeah, or you know, yeah. like I'm some kind of kid. Like I'm an older guy now. I, I got to remember that about myself. But um, it's, so it's really funny. It really is. Like even to hear you say like, you know, it's nice to have an older perspective. <laughs> it's like, you know, but it's true. You yeah, know? yeah. But I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to be younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I, getting back to your point about, you know, the journey and discovering and learning. Like I, I don't think you ever get to where you go. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm complete. I'm finished. I do believe that, that you'll look back and I'll look back 10 years from now and, and we'll be completely different. If, if, we, if we choose to, to push through, right, um, and, and stay the course as Christians, because I think at any time we could stop swimming upstream, so to speak, and allow ourselves to be swept away and, and, and find ourselves digressing, you know, going backwards, um, which I think is is happening more and more, and and I think the world is is and the environment that we're in is creating opportunities like never before for people to say, like I've gone far enough, um, and to start to hear things through media, so much information that we're exposed to, to just to just stop, you know, and it's not easy to to. To be on this journey, this path that that Christ calls us to, um, and at any time we can decide, like I've I've gone far enough, you know, I'm I'm going to quit my marriage, or I'm going to quit my I'm going to quit being a father, or I'm going to quit, you know, uh, stay in the course as a single guy, right? Um, because well, why wouldn't I? I mean, look at what's happening around the world. It's you know, there's always a reason, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I think that 10 years from now, we'll, we'll be so different. I think about where I was 30 years ago and who I was and what I was like. And that guy, to me, is disgusting. Like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. Um, and I could even say there's, there's always things inside us that we're aware of, thoughts we're having or ideas and things. Like, I don't want to be that guy either. And he's like right here in the seat, you know. <laughs> but... Um, 
but it's but we are getting worked out. We are uh -huh. getting cleaned up, and it's yeah. it's it's a good thing. Yeah, you know, it's never ending process. We just have to be really careful not to be jaded. You know, mm -hmm. not to be um, messed up. Yeah. And I, it makes me realize more and more how diabolical, you know, the enemy of our soul is, and how evil really is ever present and always. Um, readily willing and able to take us down and and mess us up you know yeah. and for young people my my encouragement would be to you know stay the course i don't know what i would have done had i grown up in this generation <laughs> knowing the way that i was then i i don't like so i i have a lot of respect for young people um in that sense that that are that are towing the line and that are fighting the good fight because it is it is so easy to choose evil and choose death and destruction ultimately that's the end of it all like it blows my mind today to to realize how how easy it is and how accessible bad things are like they just weren't that accessible when i was a kid you know there was plenty of evil and plenty of bad but it wasn't as like wasn't being fed to you yeah. as you readily. Yes, and yeah. and it's it's a whole different world today. And in that sense, yes, yeah, so I'm much older in that sense cuz I I view world the world different in that sense and I don't have the 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 same propensities towards some of the devices in the 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 digital world that is that is so normal for young people, you know. Um, we didn't grow up with it. So Yeah. There are We're, definitely a lot of things that are kind of being pushed or pitched even, you could say, like it's being sold to my generation, like almost for the purpose of creating bitterness and fear, which I, I do think it is, yes. whether or not the human forces behind it are recognizing it, I think. There is certainly an underlying power that wants fear to be the primary motivator for humanity. And the youth that is so tied to our devices and to these things that connect us to the whole world all at once, those things are, it, it's like they're engineered to create fear and bitterness toward things, which makes you just want to give up. It does. It makes you want to just give up, throw up your hands and say, it doesn't matter and I can't handle this. Yeah. Like I can't hold the world up on my shoulders and I'm being told that I have to. I'm being told that everything, I'm, I have access to everything, therefore I have some sort of responsibility in everything mm -hmm. and it's just too much. So I'd rather give up. That, that is, for me, that's something I notice very much present in my life and i know that it's not true i know that there's someone who's holding up the world and it's not me but for a lot of people that's not something they're aware of yeah it's hard yeah i mean um i just like i said i i have a lot of respect i guess or um appreciation for young people that are i mean i look i love all young people i think a lot of young people are being misinformed and misguided and so for them 
to be, you know, who they are, where they are, doing what they're doing, I don't want to be critical, you know. Um, I want to have admiration and respect for them too. Um, I just think they're 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 you know they've they've been mis misled. Um, but but for young people that that are, you know, choosing to to make choices to make themselves better and, you know to stay the course in a, in a world that, that, um, doesn't make any sense and that bears a lot of, um, you know, hard stuff against their lives. It's like, um, I don't know how they do it. You know, I really don't. Like I said, if I, if I had grown up in this generation, the way that I was growing up, um, you know, I just know it would have been a lot worse. Yeah, it's tough out there. It's you made really me think tough. of this quote that I, I wanted to pull up and read about youth. The things you're saying about you you not feeling like you have to remember that you're not a young man anymore. Yes. So I, I believe this was quoted on a podcast I was listening to. The the man credited with saying this is named Douglas MacArthur. Oh, yeah. And I, I have it pinned in my notes so that I can always reference it. And I don't think I've read it on the podcast. Um, it says, youth is not a period of time. It is a state of mind, a result of the will, a quality of the imagination, a victory of courage over timidity, of the taste for adventure over the love of comfort. A man doesn't grow old because he has lived a certain number of years. A man grows old when he deserts his ideal. The years may wrinkle his skin, but deserting his ideal wrinkles his soul. Preoccupations, fears, doubts, and despair are the enemies which slowly bow us toward earth and turn us into dust before death. You will remain young as long as you are open to what is beautiful and good and great, receptive to the messages of other men and women, of nature and of God. Mm. If one day you should become bitter, pessimistic, and gnawed by despair, may God have mercy on your old man's soul. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Isn't that something? It is. That's really yeah. good, too. Because it, it makes me think, like, if you if you have the perspective you do and have to remind yourself that you're not a young man, there's a lot of people who are young who have surrendered their ideals and their souls and have become old before their time. Yeah. Like, that is very much a struggle we're dealing with right now. Like Big time. How do I hold on to what I don't recognize is that youth and life that I can have. And the world wants to steal that from us. 100%. Like it wants to take that away. 100%. And, and just, and like you mentioned earlier, just grasp your life as tightly as you can, and then you're going to lose it. Yeah. And you don't find it, like, you. in my experience, you don't find it outside of, of something bigger, which has been God yes. for me. I mean, um, yeah, you say you don't know how you, how you would have done it living as a young person in this age, but I don't think we're doing it any differently in that if, if we're succeeding in it, it's by the grace of God. It's so true. Just, yeah, whether you grow up in more in the 20th century or you're now in the 21st just becoming an adult, like there's not anything else you can grasp, I think, that's going to carry you along. Yeah, you have to ground yourself. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I I think a lot about 
um, what Jesus said, um, if you come to me, hear my words, and do them, you'll be like a house built on a rock. And I think about, I, I always have this picture in my mind of these feet that are firmly planted on a rock. And it's just a picture, a mental picture that I get that, um, that, that all hell is coming at you, but your feet are planted firmly. And, and um, that's, the, that's the only thing that's going to get anybody through in life is, is you know, planting our feet firmly on, on, on the rock. And that, that is truth as well. And I think we live in a society where truth is really being challenged today. But it doesn't change truth. Truth isn't any different today than it was from the beginning of time. Um, and truth is, you know, eternal. And it is... Um, a sure foundation and and so getting at it you know and and then and then digging in um in spite of everything that's coming at us because the world is full of information that isn't true but sounds really good you know and it's easy to buy into something like that and then become jaded to the point where we start to we're okay with thinking evil of other people hating people even as christians you know i find that a lot and i, I it's troubling um, I understand why it happens because people aren't really paying attention. They're just listening to all the noise out there, and you know you can you can tell a lot of times where you know what we're, where we're getting our information. You know, our, the world is full of information, but mm -hmm. we have to be so careful. You know, guard your heart. The Bible says, and and you know if we can grab onto the truth and hold on to it, and you know and fight to to keep out all this information that's coming at us and all these ideas that say that it's okay if you're well you're you're Republican because you're Christian right so if you're Christian you're Republican and so if you're Republican and you you um, you're a Second Amendment and you're a patriot it's okay to hate people that are on the other side of the political spectrum which would make them Democrats which would make them enemies you know by by default. And then it would make it okay then to make jokes about them, you know, or laugh at their at their decline, let's say, right? Um, and I I'm troubled by that, and I don't want to come off as some holier than thou guy who thinks you know that I'm better because I've struggled with that too. It's easy to watch Fox News and 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 become jaded by the information because, in fact, people that do wrong things. Um, God hates that, but that doesn't mean that I got to treat them, you know, God also loves them, right? He loves them. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think, you know, that quote you read there is really part of why I think I feel younger in some sense, because I, I don't want to hate people. I don't want to buy into those, and I've done it, and I've been guilty of it. You know, I bought into those lies where I don't want to look or watch a video about you know Joe Biden making uh, mistakes because of his cognitive ability, and then somehow make make light of that. Like I'm praying for his soul, like I want him to come to Christ. I know God loves that man, and so if, if I'm if I'm laughing at him or making fun of him, um, that's not okay. But in, there's a part of me that thinks that other Christians would say, you know, like like that's become commonplace for us as believers in this world like we have become corrupted at some level because we we we're right wing right i'm a, i'm a right wing conservative was i mean I, I have conservative views but that doesn't mean that i align myself with 
rhetoric that is destructive or hurtful right. to other mm-hmm. people. It just means that I want, and I'm not saying all conservatives are right. I'm not saying that conservatism is is always Christian, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a struggle there um, that I think that we become old and we start to die when we when we get cynical mm-hmm. in our in our and self righteous. Because ultimately, yeah. that's what that becomes: is oh, I've got a, I've you know, I I know the truth, and you don't. Therefore, you're stupid, or mm-hmm. or or you're ignorant, or you know, um, you're evil, and I'm not. Right. Be- just because I know something, mm-hmm. and that's that's not okay. So yeah. I, that's a that's a real source, I think, for me. Of, like when we sit down and talk, which I love. Um, and that's why I love to meet people. I never want to approach a person that I've met that may, that I may have already prejudged based on the bumper sticker on the back of their car. I don't want that to disrupt or jade my thinking towards that person. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to, you know, have place the value on them that God places, you know, and I want to hear their story, you know, and I want to respect them. And, and I think a lot of times when you get behind somebody and you hear their story, it helps you to understand, like, why. And I thought about, you know, the elections of 2016 and the elections 2012, 2008. And it's like, you know, you're always like, it's like you're rooting for your team. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I want the Republicans got to win, you know. But I, but I always tried to keep that perspective, like President Obama, for example. A lot of people hated him. But I always wanted to think, you know, here's this man. He's a father. He's a husband. He may not align his worldview with mine. He has a reason for what he believes. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying he doesn't have evil intent. I don't know. But I don't want to hate him. You know, I don't. Um, and I just think in our world today, like you said, the, the, everything, everything about what we're hearing is telling us that we have to hate him. And, they ha- and he has to hate me because I'm, I'm, I'm Caucasian and I'm... I'm, I'm, I lean conservative. I would say I'm more libertarian. You know, I don't really have a political party. But I think that that's a big part of what's wrong with the world today. Is that there are voices out there, right? Ultimately, we know we fight not against, fight not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you watch the news, if you watch the MSNBC, and then you watch Fox, well, they're, they're absolutely... They're absolute opposites. So, you know, if you buy into this worldview, well, then you don't like them that buy into this worldview and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I just think, man, we're, we're, we're just destroying ourselves. Yeah. When you're being encouraged to think that your enemy is just your neighbor, basically. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to, that's, that's not going to do the world many favors. No. When we're all nope. jaded against each other because we think, because we think we're, we think that guy thinks this, and that means he's against me. So I need to be against him because if I don't, he's going to win and I'm going to lose. Yeah. But we all lose when you, when that's the perspective we take. Exactly. And I think there's a, there's a real intelligence behind that that is deliberately dividing us by political party. That's a two-party system. So if you're for one, you're against the other. And that, and that really, you know, jades every... You, you've automatically you know, perverted your ability to think about somebody else in mm-hmm. a way that is just, let's say. Yeah. Um, but we're dividing by, by gender, by race, by, you know, um, you know, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, 
it's super unhealthy. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like to think that the people I interact with at coffee shops, for example, a lot of the baristas, I'm sure, I know in several shops, the, idea, the conversation about political worldview, things like that have never come up. And um, it wouldn't matter to me what they where they stood but i wonder sometimes if they really knew what i wa- what i believe because i know some of them are very different in that respect um but i would never like not want to engage them or care about them yeah you know i genuinely am interested in how they're doing and you know if i if i took the position that well they're 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 stupid because they're Democrats, like, what kind, what's that do? What kind of good does that do in the world? It yeah. does nothing uh-huh. good. It just destroys people. Yeah. Uh, and we're supposed to be a source of light and salt, and we should always bless and not curse, you know. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done. Right. But but that's that's an endeavor that I try really hard to maintain in life is, you know, respect all people and i and i'm i mean I'm, i've failed at it on, on occasions you know it's not yeah, like i'm perfect yeah, at it but do. i but i try uh-huh. i really do i don't want to hate our president or i uh, wish him well i really do and i i've never walked in his shoes right you know what mm-hmm. i mean i didn't have the privileges that he had and i think that jades people and it would have jaded me you know this whole thing about hunter biden you know and how bad he is and it's like i don't like if i was his, joe biden's son I mean, <laughs> let's go. Like, I would have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would have probably taken full advantage of every opportunity afforded me to, to get ahead right. in life. Yeah. And uh-huh. so many people are like, just, oh my God, look how evil he is. But God, the Bible says in Romans 2, it says, you know, don't judge because the same things that you are judging, that's in your heart, you know? And I think mm-hmm. we're all guilty of that. Like, there's none of us that can really point a finger at anybody and say, oh, I would never do that or you know, look how bad he is. We've just never been given those opportunities. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the, there's a, a, one of the proverbs that says, Lord, two things I ask of you, give me, don't give me too little, lest I steal Mm -hmm. and kind of like defame your name, but don't give me too much so that I forget. Um, what you've given me or something along yeah, those yeah. lines like give me just enough yep and yeah there's so much truth behind that paul talks also about you know he's learned the secret to being content whether in plenty or in want and when you come from a middle class american home you're probably more tempted to think that the harder side of that to be on is in want that that's that's where you would have all the most discontent but in reality, having too much, having everything you could think you want probably poses just as many uh, difficulties and temptations to go down the wrong path. And I don't know that I would be any different. I have no reason to think that put in that position of where I could have anything I want, that I would choose anything different than right. those who I look down on. Yeah, You know, that's why I think some of these things that have been highlighted of late in popular culture, Epstein Island and all these celebrity scandals, like yeah. when you're handed all the power you could wish for, what, what else do you expect people to do? 
I, I've never been in that place. And I don't want to think that I'm somehow special or different so that you could just put the world at my feet and I'd say, no, I don't need it. I'm going to be, I'm going to stay on the upright path. I don't know that I'm not, I know that I'm not some superhuman person who's better than all that. So I'm just like, I'm trusting to the grace of God to give me enough of what I need. Yeah. Yeah, That's a, that's a, I mean, when you say that, when you said that for me, there's something profoundly true about what you just said that given any any person on this planet given the opportunity to have it all like it made me think of christ after 40 days in the wilderness when the devil came to him and tempted him with everything Mm -hmm. you know only christ could have said "Uh uh-uh you know and i think that most people, and this is something that would should really really humble us and make us really, you know, bring us to our knees. At least it it makes me think like, my God, like, what would I have done had I been given the opportunities? And and I and I'm I'm very, um, you know, ashamed to say I'd probably would have you know just gone all in on the world, you know. And and I, sometimes that that takes a fair amount of honesty, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and and um, self realization to say, you know, and I think what that what that should provoke in us is mercy towards other people that maybe went down that road and we we didn't because we weren't given that same opportunity. Yeah. So when we when we you know and people forget that news media is a form of capitalism, right? So all these stories that we're hearing are Epstein and. Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and all that he's been through. It's like, that's clickbait. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to know what he did. I know that he had a nefarious life, but again, I would have too. And so I don't want to think ill of him. Mm-hmm. I want to pray for him. And I want to hope and pray that he really comes to the Lord and comes to his senses and that somehow God will take all that mess that he's been in and bring something beautiful out of it. And that's the hope of the gospel for every person. You know that everybody has a story. Everybody's got a mess at some level, and um, I think the sooner that we, as the church, can recognize that, hey, we're not perfect. You know, in fact, um, we're just as guilty, if not more guilty, at so many levels that mm-hmm. we could just love people no matter what they've been through, or n- not pass judgment. Like if we could just get that right, you know, people that are living lifestyles that we don't agree with, or whatever. That, that we could then be a source of life for people, you know, where they could come and say, gosh, you know, what is it? Like, what is it, you know? And then we can we can share Christ, like, you know, without it being religious, you know, because I think there's a whole lot of that going on. And I think that's what keeps people out, too, frankly, you know, yeah. outside the church. It's mm-hmm. like, who wants that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we could, we could keep talking for sure about that. We're, we're going to wind down. Um. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff there. Look at that. Just it just goes by. Wow. Right? Yeah, I I tend to wind down the conversations about two hours, and I put that cap this time around because the the first time I was doing it, some of them were close to four hours, and no kidding. Like if you sit down just to have a conversation with someone, I don't feel like that's the longest. Really, that's that's that's. You know, an evening of hanging out with a friend, but for a podcast, I'm trying to keep it 
oh, yeah. a little more manageable. Oh, for and, sure. and part of that that I've come to realize is the conversation doesn't end. You, you can't fit everything into this neat package. So my goal is, is not to do that, but I, I love having the opportunity to start the conversation. And that's an encouragement I like to leave anybody listening with, like start a conversation, have a good conversation, and don't be afraid to go deep either. Yeah, I, I completely yeah, agree. You never know what you'll learn. Yeah. But we do end every episode with a couple things. The guest gives a recommendation, which can be anything, any kind of thing you want to hmm. recommend. It can be super deeper existential recommendation or it could be a product if you want, like huh. whatever. And then <laughs> a funny story because I like to end on a high note. So recommendation. Yeah. Hmm. I think if I, you know, I don't have a product to, to push. I, uh-huh. I, my recommendation for, for anybody that's listening is take Jesus at his word. I, I think the scripture that I've, I've really, more recently in particular, because I'm teaching a Bible study on Tuesday, uh, Thursday nights at my house, anybody that's here locally is welcome to come. But it is the encouragement from Jesus. If you come to me, hear my words, and do them, you will be like a house built on a rock. And when the storm comes, uh, that you'll stand. And there's three things there. It's number one, you come to him. Number two, um, you hear what he has to say. And then number three, you do what he says. And it's it'll change your life forever. It'll set you on a course for meaning and purpose and it's it's the highest form of living that there is on this planet and it's bigger and more important than anything in your life or anything in your mind that you can even imagine or think or conceive to do um you can do other things but that becomes the focal point of your life existence and it gives beauty and purpose to everything else you do in life and every relationship it makes everything better that's my recommendation. Okay, that's great. So, do you have a funny story or a joke? I mean, I tell I'm people, terrible joke. I'm terrible. T- <laughs> tell, I tell people you can, you can have a joke if you want, but I mean, everybody I mean, has, I'm a terrible joke teller. Stories. I would say funny stories. Um, I mean, I think sometimes I'm funny. I really do. Um, but for me, my comedy is more just Im- improvised. Uh-huh. I, I'm a terrible joke teller, but I have a way sometimes of just just being funny in general. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to be funny. I think laughter is really good. Um, you know, the only... I, I don't really have a funny... I wish I did. I yeah. wish I could tell you a story that would really make you laugh, but um, I don't know if some of the stuff I've been through would really even seem funny to you. No? No. So... you got to have something, though. You can't be the only episode <laughs> that doesn't end with this. Um, I mean, it can be a joke, too. It can be the silliest thing. Like I said, I wish I had a joke. I, I would say um, the only thing that comes to my mind, and I was going to see I'm really dumb and really random, but I, so when I was a fireman, um, you know, I was, I was kind of kind of crazy, and, and um, I had this girl come into town one time. My wife will probably get mad at me for sharing this. <laughs> but it's just the only thing that came to my mind. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I, I had to work. And she came to town, and she was only in town for a day and a half. So um, I was, uh, I went to work that morning, and you know we do 24-hour shifts. And yeah. um, I was trying to think, how can I get out of work for the day? And um, 
it was I, I was working with one of one of the captains. He was like the the hardest captains in the department. You know, he's one of those guys you just didn't want to rub wrong or get angry. And so I couldn't really think like if I fake that I'm sick, he'll see right through it. Like I'm not going to do that. So I got into the I went to the guys that ran the, the paramedics and I said, Hey, do you guys have any Epicac on board? <laughs> I don't know if you know what Epicac yeah, is. Yeah. Um. And so so. <laughs> So I um, I got them to give me a bottle of Epicac, right? And so we were, it was morning muster. We're sitting around the kitchen table, and I had dropped like half a bottle of Epicac, like probably 15 minutes before muster, you know, and we're sitting around the station, and then all of a sudden, like, I mean, it just hit me. Hey, and yeah. it was all I could do to get to the bathroom, and for about 20 minutes, it was just full on, just vomit like crazy, you know, projectile <laughs> vomiting. It was like everything's going out right now. Yeah. But it was uh, it was the perfect um, solution to my problem at that moment, which uh-huh. was I, how can I get out of here? And so um, I'm like, I had to go. You know, I was sick. I was really sick. I, yeah. I was sick. Yeah. Um, so I threw up for about an hour, you know, and um, I got out of work and I got down the road and I think I had to pull over one time on the side <laughs> of the road, get one more good one out, and uh-huh. then it was home free, right? So. Um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I did. You know, yeah. I was like, well, let me see. How can I how can I get out of this? But I mean, in my mind, that was um that was that I tell that story at the reunions when I get together with my fireman buddies and they, yeah. they think it's hilarious. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah. creative. Yeah. So Epicac, yeah. don't ever drink Epicac unless you really <laughs> want to throw up. Because yeah. and I didn't even do the whole bottle. Uh-huh. That's pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there you go. Funny. That's a good note. That's to end my story. On. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah, man. It's yeah. a pleasure. Been it a, has been a pleasure. Yes. if you don't mind my asking.